Chapter 16 of Railstone Luck by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Railstones Stand Together. I like Louisiana, drawled Holmes lazily from his perch on the window seat. The most improbable things happen here. One finds secret passages under houses and medieval war swords stuck in drains. Then there are things that go boomp in the night, too. It might be worth settling down here. Not for you, cut in charity briskly. Too far from the bright lights for you, my man. Just for that he triumphed. I shall not return this lost property found under a cushion of the couch in the hall. At the sight of that familiar black notebook, Val shifted uneasily on his pillows. Rupert got up. Tired old man, he asked, and reached to straighten one of his brother's feather-stuffed supports. Val shook his head. Being bandaged like a mummy was wearing, but one had to humor two broken ribs and a fractured collarbone. Sometimes, replied Charity, you are just too clever, Mr. Judson Holmes. That does not happen to be my property. No? He flipped it open and held it up so that she might see what lay within. I'll admit that it isn't your usual sort of stuff, but... She was staring at the drawings. No, that isn't mine, but who... Ricky got up from the end of Val's cot and went to look. Then she turned, her eyes shining with excitement. You're trying them again, but Val, you said you never would. Give me that book, he ordered grimly. But Rupert had calmly collected the trophy and was turning over the pages one by one. Val made a horrible face at Ricky and resigned himself to the inevitable. How long have you been doing this sort of thing? his brother asked as he turned the last page. Ever so long. Ricky answered for Val brightly. He used to draw whole letters of them when we were at school. There were two sets, one for good days and the other for bad. And now Val cut in. Suppose we just forget the whole matter. Will you please let me have that? Rupert, don't let him go all modest on us now, urged the demon sister. One retiring violet in the family is enough. And who is the violet, your charming self? inquired Holmes. No, Ricky smiled pleasantly. Only Mr. Creighton might be interested in the contents of Bluebeard's chamber. What do you think, Rupert? At that audacious hint, Val remembered the night of the storm and Ricky's strange attitude then. So Rupert's the missing author, he commented lightly. Well, well, well. Charity's indulgent smile faded and Holmes, suddenly alert, leaned forward. Rupert stared at Val for a long moment, his face blank. Was he going to retire behind his wall of reserve from which their venture underground had routed him? Or was he going to remain the very human person who had spent eight hours of every day at his brother's beck and call for the past few weeks? Regular Charlie Chan, aren't you? he asked mildly. Val's sigh of relief was echoed by Ricky. Thanks, so much. Val replied humbly in the well-known manner of the famous detective Rupert had likened him to. Then we are right? asked Ricky. Rupert's eyebrows slid upward. You seem too sure to be in doubt, he commented. Well, I was sure at times. But then no one can ever be really sure of anything about you, she admitted frankly. But why? protested Charity. Why didn't I spread the glad tidings that I was turning out the great American novel, he asked. I don't know. Perhaps I'm a violet, no? He looked pained at Ricky's snort of dissent. Or perhaps I just don't like to talk about things which may never come true. When I didn't hear from Lever, I thought that my worst forebodings were realized and that my scribbling was worthless. 
But you know, he paused to fill his pipe. Writing is more or less like the drug habit. I've told stories all my life, and I found myself tied to my typewriter in spite of my disappointment. As for talking about it, well, how much has Val ever said about these? He ruffled the pages of the notebook provokingly. Nothing. And you never would have seen those if I could have prevented it, his brother replied. Those are for my private satisfaction only. Two geniuses in one family, Ricky rolled her eyes heavenward. This is almost too, too much. Jeems, Val ordered, you're the nearest. Can't you make her shut up? Just let him try, said his sister sweetly. The swamper grinned, but made no move to stir from his chair. Jeems had become as much a part of Pirate's Haven as the luck, which Val could see from his cot glimmering dully in his niche in the long hall. The swamper's confinement in the sick room had paled his heavy tan, and he had lost the sullen frown which had made him appear so old and bitter. Now, dressed in a pair of Val's white slacks and a shirt from his wardrobe, Jeems was as much at ease in his surroundings as Rupert or Holmes. It had been Jeems who had saved Ricky and Val on that night of terror, when they had been trapped in the secret ways of their pirate ancestors. Sam, too, had trailed Ricky to the garden and had witnessed their entering the tunnel, but his racial fear of the dark unknown had kept him from venturing in after them. So he had lingered there long enough to see the invaders come out and take to the river. Catching some words of theirs about a cave-in, he had gone pelting off to Rupert with the story. The investigating party from the levee had discovered, to their horror, the passage choked for half its length. They were making a futile and dangerous attempt to clear it when Jeems appeared on the scene. Letty Lou having given him a garbled account of events, he had staggered from his bed in an effort to reach Rupert. He alone knew the underground ways as well as he knew the garden. And so, getting Rupert's attention, he had set them to work in the cellar, cutting through to the one passage which paralleled the foundation walls. In the weeks which followed their emergence from the threatened tomb, the swamper had unobtrusively slipped into a place in the household. While Val was frightening his family by indulging in a bout of fever to complicate his injuries, Jeems was providing himself a tower of strength and a person to be relied upon. Even Lucy had once asked his opinion on the importance of a fire in the hall, and with that his position was assured. Of the invaders they had heard or seen no more, Although the police had visited Pirate's Haven on two separate occasions, interviewing each and every member of the household, they had also made a half-hearted attempt to search the swamp. But for all the evidence they found, Ricky and Val might have been merely indulging in an over-vivid dream. Save that the luck hung again in the long haul. Seriously, though, Holmes drew Val's thoughts out of the past. These are worthwhile. Would you mind if I showed them to a friend of mine who might be interested? Since Rupert had already nodded and Charity had handed him the notebook, Val decided he could hardly raise a protest. Rupert, Charity glanced at him. Are you going to see Creighton? Since all has been discovered, he misquoted, I suppose that that is all there is left for me to do. Then you had better do it today. He's planning to leave for the North tonight, she informed him. Rupert came to life. For all his pose of unconcern, he was excited. In the long days, Val had been tied to the cot hurriedly set up in the corner of the drawing-room on the night of the rescue. It had been thought wiser to move him no further than necessary. He had found again the real Rupert they had known of old. There was little he could conceal from his younger brother now, or so Val thought. 
Sam has the roadster, Rupert said. There's something wrong with the brakes, and I told him to take it to town and have it looked over. Goodness only knows what time he'll be back. See here, Railstone, Holmes looked at his wristwatch. I've the car I hired here with me. Let me drive you in. Charity has to go anyway and see about sending off those sketches of hers. Oh, but we were going together, protested Ricky. I have some shopping to do. Very simple, Val suggested. Why don't you all go? But that would leave you alone, Rupert shook his head. No, there's Jeems. I don't know, Rupert hesitated doubtfully. It doesn't require more than one person to wait on me at present, Val said firmly. Now all of you go, but remember, I shall expect the Greeks to return bearing gifts. Holmes saluted. Right you are, my hearty. Well, ladies, the chariot awaits without. In spite of their protests, Val at last got rid of them. Since he had a project of his own, he was only too glad to see the last of his over-solicitor's family for a while. Val had never been able to understand why broken ribs or a fractured collarbone should chain one to the bed, and since he had recovered from his wrenched back, he was eager to be up and around. In private, with the protesting assistance of Sam too, he had made a pilgrimage across the room and back, and now it was his full intention to be seated on the terrace when the family came home. It was Lucy, of all people, who aided fortune to give him his opportunity. Mr. Val, she announced from the doorway as the sound of the car pulling out of the drive signaled the departure of the city-bound party. Them lights is out again. Another fuse gone? That's the second this week. Who's been playing games? he asked. This here no count. She dragged out of hiding from behind her voluminous skirts her second son, a chocolate-brown infant who rejoiced in the name of Gustavus Adolphus and was generally called Duff. At that moment he was sobbing noisily and eyeing Val as if the boy were the grand high executioner of Tartary. "'You all tell Mr. Val what you been a-doing,' commanded his mother, emphasizing her order with a shake. "'Ain't there nothing?' wailed Duff. "'Sam, he give me the penny and say, "'Let's have fun!' Then I put the penny in the little hole and then Mammy caught me. Doff seems to be the victim, Lucy, Val observed. Where's Sam? I don't know, but I's a going to find out, she stated with ominous determination. How's I going to get my ironing done when there ain't no heat for the iron? I ask you that. There are some fuses in the pantry and Jeems will put one in for you, Val promised. With a sniff, Lucy withdrew, her fingers still hooked into the collar of her tearful son. Jeems glanced at Val as he went by the boy's cot, and Val didn't care for what he read into that glance. Had the swamper by any foul chance come to suspect Val's little plan? But it all turned out just as he had hoped. Val made that most momentous trip in four easy stages, resting on the big chair where Rupert had spent so many hours, on the bench by the window, in the first of the deck chairs by the side of the French doors leading to the terrace, and then he reached the haven of the last deck chair and settled down just where he had intended. And when Jeems returned, there was nothing he could do but accept the fact that Val had fled the cot. Miss Ricky won't like this, he prophesied darkly, nor Mr. Rupert neither. You wouldn't have tried it if they'd been here. Oh, stop worrying. If you'd been tied to that cot in the way I've been, you'd be glad to get out here too. It's great. The sun was warm, but the afternoon shadow of an oak overhung his seat so that Val escaped the direct force of the rays. A few feet away, Satan sprawled full length, 
giving a fine imitation of a cat that had rid himself of all nine lives, or at least of eight and a half. Never had the garden shown so rich a green. Ricky's care had sharpened the lines of the flower beds and had set shrubs in their proper places, and the plants had repaid her with a riot of blossoms. A breeze set the grey moss to swaying from the branches of the oak, and a green grasshopper crossed the terrace in four great leaps, almost scraping Satan's ear in a fashion which might easily have been fatal to the insect. Val sighed and slipped down lower in his chair. It's great, he murmured again. Sure is, Jeems echoed. He dropped down cross-legged beside Val, disdaining the other chair. Satan stretched without opening his eyes and yawned, gaping to the fullest extent of his jaws and curling his tongue upward so that it seemed pointed like a snake's. Then he rolled over on his other side and curled up with his paws under his chin. A bumblebee blundered by Val's head on its way to visit the morning glories. He suddenly discovered it difficult to keep his eyes open. "'Someone's coming,' observed Jeems. "'I just heard a car turn in from the road.' "'But the folks have been gone such a short time,' Val protested. However, the car which came almost noiselessly down the drive was not the one in which the family had departed. It had the shape of a sleek grey beetle, rounded so that it was difficult to tell at first glance the hood from the rear. It glided to a stop before the steps, and after a moment four passengers disembarked. Val simply stared, but Jeems got to his feet in one swift movement. For, coming purposefully up the terrace steps, were four men they had seen before, and had very good cause to remember for the rest of their lives. In the lead strutted the rival, a tight smile rendering his unlovely features yet more disagreeable. Behind him trotted the red-faced counsellor who had accompanied him on his first visit. But matching the rival step for step was the boss, while Red brought up the rear in a tidy fashion. "'Swell place, ain't it?' demanded the rival, taking no notice of Val or Jeems. "'Make yourselves to home, boys. The place is yours.' Val gripped the arm of his chair. Sam, Rupert, and Holmes, they were all beyond call. It was left to him to meet this unbelievable invasion alone. There was a stir beside him. Val glanced up to meet the slightest of reassuring nods from the swamper. Jeems was with him. "'What you gonna do with the joint, Brick?' asked Red, tossing his cigarette down on the flagstones and grinding it to powder with his heel. "'I do know yet.' The rival strode importantly toward the front door. "'You might tell us when you find out,' Val suggested quietly. With an exaggerated start of surprise, the rival turned toward the boy. "'Oh, so it's you, kid?' "'Perhaps,' Val said softly. "'You had better introduce your friends. After all, I like to know the names of my guests.' The boss smiled sardonically, and Red grinned. Only the red-faced lawyer shuffled his feet uneasily and looked from one to another of his companions with an expression of pleading, but the rival came directly to the point. "'Where's that high and mighty brother of yours?' he demanded. "'Mr. Railstone will doubtless be very glad to see you,' Val evaded, having no desire for the visitors to discover just how slender his resources were. Jeems, you might go and tell him that we have visitors. Go through the long hall. It's nearer that way. He dug the fingernails of his sound hand into the soft wood of the armchair. Could Jeems interpret that hint? Someone must remove and hide the luck before these men saw it. Right. The swamper turned on his heel and padded toward the French windows. 
No, you don't, the rival snarled as he moved into line between Jeems and his objective. When we want that guy, we'll hunt him out ourselves, when we are good and ready. If you don't wish to see my brother, just why did you come? Val asked feverishly. He must keep them talking there until he had time to think of some way of getting that slender blade of steel into hiding. We are moving in, Red answered casually for them all. How interesting. I think that the police will enjoy hearing that, Val commented. It's perfectly legal, bleated the lawyer. We possess a court order to view the place with the purpose of appraising it for sale. He drew a stiff paper from the inside pocket of his coat and waved it toward the boy. Bunk. I don't know much about the law, but I do know that you could have obtained nothing of the kind without our being notified. And just which one of you has been selected to do the appraising? Him answered Red laconically and jerked his thumb at the boss. So, Jeems stared at him, since you couldn't get what you want by thieving at night, you're going to try and get it by day. But what are you really after? I'm curious to know. You certainly don't want a sugar plantation which hasn't been paying its way since the Civil War. That just isn't reasonable, and you ought to know that we can't afford to buy you off. We must be living over a gold mine that we haven't discovered. Come on, tell us where it is. Val prodded. Cut the cackle, advised Red, and let's get down to it. I would advise you to get back in your car and drive out. Val wondered if his face looked as stiff as it felt. This visit isn't going to get you anywhere. We ain't going any place, kid, remarked the rival. You don't seem to understand. We are staying right here. I got rights, and the judge has recognized them. I'm top guy here now. Yeah. You ain't so smart as you think you are, contributed Red, scowling at Val. We ain't gonna leave. It wasn't Red's speech, however, that straightened the boy's back and made Jeems shift his position an inch or two. There was another car coming up the drive, and since their enemies were all gathered before them, they could only be receiving friends, or at the worst, neutrals. But the car which came from between the live oaks to park behind the first contained only two passengers, Lefleur and Creighton got out, stopped in surprise to view the party on the terrace, and then came up, shoving by Red. Quite a party, Val observed, but how did you manage to arrive so opportunely? We have made a discovery, panted the Creole lawyer, a very important discovery. What are these men doing here? We got a court order to view this house for sale. The rival was truculent. And it's all legal, the mouthpiece says so, he indicated his counsellor. Perhaps... Creighton's cool tones cut through. You had better introduce us. There was a decided change in his manner. Gone was his shy nervousness, his slightly hesitant reserve. It was a keen businessman who stood there now. Val grinned. You see before you the family skeleton. May I introduce Mr. Railstone, who firmly believes that he is the Railstone of Pirate's Haven? And three other, shall we say, gentlemen, whom I myself have never met formally. Though I did have the pleasure, I believe, he addressed the boss directly, of blackening your eye. Yeah, I'm Railstone, and I'm gonna have my rights, stated the rival briskly. You are a descendant of Roderick Railstone? asked Lafleur. You know I am. I got proofs. The man is a liar, Creighton said calmly. As they stared at him, Lafleur nodded. Val saw an ugly grin begin to curve Red's thick lips. Yeah, and how do you know that, wise guy? he asked. Because there is only one Roderick Railstone in this generation, and he is standing right there. Permit me to introduce Roderick St. Jean Railstone. 
the person he turned to was Jeems. End of chapter 16 Recording by Gabriel Glenn